0: Messaging that creates fear when that is not accompanied by a clear signal as to what you can do to alleviate the problem at the centre of that fear often sends people into withdrawal, into this kind of chronic anxiety, but not necessarily moving forward. Talking to each other is a huge part of it and
1: recognising that we are all in this together. We don't have to save the world
0: alone. So one of the things that's intrigued me about this COVID-19 situation is what's it going to be like when we come out of it? Things like eco-anxiety are precisely because we don't trust that, that people are going to respond properly. I'm still
1: hopeful and hope provides a context for positive change. Hi, I'm Harriet and this is Wannabe Greener.
2: Now in previous episodes we've covered some of the easy physical changes that we can make right now to live more eco-consciously like how to go vegan, how to go zero waste... But today I want to talk about something less tangible that a lot of us have experienced in one way or another. I'm going to guess that if you clicked onto this podcast, you probably experienced or are experiencing some kind of eco-anxiety. It's been described by the American Psychological Association as a chronic fear of environmental doom. Eco-anxiety is pretty hard to escape from because we're bombarded by messages of doom and gloom about climate change and pollution and ocean plastic. We hear about the thousands of animals becoming extinct every day. I'm probably not helping here. Anyway, I felt it myself and I probably don't help things anyway by kind of surrounding myself with people who feel the same as well as spending a lot of time on social media and following people on Instagram and Facebook who are like minded, but probably share a lot of the negativity as well. Now, I came across two psychologists, Jackie Feather and Nikki Hooray, who were touring a workshop called Hope in an Age of Eco Anxiety, building capacity for psychologists. Now, obviously, I couldn't go. I'm not a psychologist, but the fact that specialists are now being trained in this new type of fear or worry made me realise how widespread it's becoming. I then started researching online and found numerous reports on the rise of eco-anxiety. So I felt like it's something I really wanted to do a podcast on and just dive a little bit more into. And like, I hope it will help me and I hope it will help you as well. So I asked Jackie and Nikki to have a chat about their work. We'll discuss how eco or climate anxiety differs from other anxieties, how to recognise it and how we can manage it to be able to live with less worry or guilt about the future. And honestly, I walked away from this conversation feeling like I'd heard so much sense and that I'd learnt ways to positively change. And I'm a big worrier. And if you are, too, I really hope that this helps you. As you know, we're in lockdown, so this was recorded remotely, so I do apologise for any dodgy sound quality, but stick with
0: us. My name's Nikki Harray and I work at the University of Auckland in the School of Psychology. I'm a community psychologist, uh, and I'm very interested in issues like collective responses to climate change. I'm Jackie
1: Feather, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I teach at Auckland University of Technology. The focus of my teaching is counselling psychology, but I'm also very interested in psychology and the environment and in particularly eco-anxiety.
2: Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. I think a lot of people probably don't actually know what eco-anxiety is. So, Nikki, can, can you answer
0: that? Well, I think um, there's a very fine line between what we can call eco-anxiety and a real commitment to the causes, and this is what's interesting about it. So eco-anxiety is what it sounds like, being worried about the environment, having a whole lot of behaviours oriented towards protecting the environment, being concerned about your own health or about your own well-being as a result of all the things that are going wrong on this larger planetary scale. Now, because it's not actually a defined condition as such... We need to draw a border between when that's reasonable because a lot of people would say it's pretty reasonable to be worried about climate change and to be reorienting some of your practices um, in order to do your bit to try and avert it. But when it becomes unreasonable, potentially, is when it dictates your life in such a way that you are actually not functioning very well and are feeling very unhappy with the whole situation. Jackie's had a lot more experience with this on a clinical level, though, and so can probably give a more detailed response.
1: Well, it's interesting, the term eco-anxiety, because it actually originated in the media. And this was as far back as the 1990s and it referred to people's response to changes in the environment outside of their control. And there's different ways of conceptualising it. Um, It has been conceptualised as an emotional response to direct environmental degradation, which affects people's livelihood. So, for example, depleted fisheries. So this might affect Indigenous populations or local communities who depend on on fishing for their livelihood. Um, But I I guess partly, uh, you know, in terms of the interest of psychologists, a more existential or anticipated fear of environmental loss is is something that perhaps in the Western world and more urban societies that we would experience and and see uh, in terms of people that we might See presenting clinically, or even just everyday people. You know, it's um, the world's changing, and people feel they have no power over it, and don't know what it's going to mean for their future or their children's future. The actual anxiety itself is, a, is experienced just as any threat to um, to people in terms of what we might call the fight flight um, response. So. Excessive worry, shortness of breath, difficulty sleeping, obsessive behaviour and so on. So so that's how we might see it or feel it. But
2: but then it's not the same. Is it still classed as a, a type of anxiety in, in the same way, you know, like a mental health problem? Is, is it still classed as that or is it quite separate because it's kind of more rational?
1: I, I think anxiety. this is quite a, a tricky area, Harriet, because... In fact, eco-anxiety, it's a rational response um, to something that's happening uh, in in the environment and uh, there's no actual clinical definition. So we don't and we shouldn't define it as a pathology. But having said that, for some people, the level of anxiety does impair their functioning and in that case we might say it's, it's pathological but actually, for most people, it's just a realistic response to what's happening.
2: And how would you spot the signs of, of eco-anxiety? Because they sound very similar to the symptoms of another anxiety. How, how would you go about recognising, oh, actually, I think this is linked to my feelings about climate change in, in the world?
1: Well, I think that's the point, really, Harriet, is if the anxiety is related to what's happening in the environment and people's worry about about what that means for themselves, for their future or their children's future. Um, Regular people who are starting to feel this kind of anxiety may or may not have experienced anxiety or depression before, um, and certainly not at clinical levels eco-anxiety how we might recognize it is because it's the focus of the anxiety is actually on environmental change and loss and degradation so the actual feelings in the person's body or the the fact they're having excessive worry worrying thoughts would be in line with normal anxiety but the nature of those thoughts is what would distinguish it okay uh, and Nikki, how
2: widespread is this? I mean, obviously, we've known about climate change and what's happening in the world for a long time. But is this becoming increasingly a problem within society,
0: eco-anxiety? I think it's becoming increasingly in people's awareness. And so as Jackie's been saying, it's a pretty rational response to the situation that we're in. I grew up in an age of uh, nuclear war, there was going to be a nuclear war. And I was very anxious about that as a teenager. And I think that was a pretty reasonable position to take um, in this, with this great, unknown, scary future looming over us. So I think what's important to talk about here is that we are in an environment in which we are increasingly talking about and being aware of a whole series of environmental threats concurrently with the feeling that we're not doing nearly enough about it. So that will very naturally lead people to feel anxious because you've got to remember that anxiety is a often experienced as an ongoing sort of underlying chronic state of just feeling slightly out of control, but of wanting to try and take that control back. Um, And these conditions are just ripe for people to react in that way. There's obviously really different levels of this. Um, So most people are just getting on with their lives and this is just one element of their life. But then as Jackie's been talking about, for some people, some of the time, it just rises to the surface and becomes overwhelming for a while.
2: And is it mainly young people who are who are suffering from this?
0: Uh, it, it's difficult to, I wouldn't be using words like suffering, because I think that it's how people are responding to the situation as it is. Mm-hmm. I think from the perspective of a young person, the future is, a lot more tangible. It has to be managed a lot more directly than for an older person. So somebody like me, 58, you know, I've done my career such as it is, you know, things aren't going to change much there. Um, I've got a house. I've had my children. In a sense, the future to me is something I'm going to live through. And I don't really... Uh, try and forecast into it or project into it or really worry about it very much. If you're 20, that's completely different. You've got to decide about um, a relationship, you've got to decide about work, children, all of these kinds of things. So obviously, when the future looks unknown, then it's going to be pretty difficult to do that with with confidence. So again it's a pretty normal sort of response to have some anxiety if you're young about this future that we are telling young people is really unknown
2: yeah right that was one of my questions actually we we're, we're telling people you know we we hear about these problems in the news all the time um we're all sharing social media posts about what's happening to oceans and the globe and global warming should we be doing less of that so that there's less fear? Should we be kind of talking
0: about it less? I'm pretty strong and hot on this issue because in a sense, I think, yes, it's not so much that we should be talking about it less, but I think we should be really careful about how we're framing it. Uh, there, There is a lot of research in psychology that shows how people respond to different kinds of messaging, and messaging that creates fear when that is not accompanied by a clear signal as to what you can do to alleviate the problem at the centre of that fear often sends people into withdrawal, into this kind of chronic anxiety, but not necessarily moving forward. So for example, if you put out some something saying, you know, the world's got 12 years left and the governments aren't doing anything and da-da-da-da, and and then at the bottom you can say, so write a letter to your politician. It's like, seriously? Writing a letter to my politician is going to affect this huge litany of problems that you've told me exist all over the world? I don't think so. But if you write an article that talks about the way in which communities are coming together to tackle these different issues, and the numerous groups that are doing things at all sorts of levels, community gardens, educators in schools sustainable businesses and if you encourage people to connect with the various uh, the, the networks that they're associated with and to get involved in that then I have a message that can start me moving so this isn't about concealing the truth or being in denial but it is about thinking what helps people latch onto to things and get active in a positive way and you think that
2: actually interestingly I, I kind of mentioned on social media that I was going to be speaking to both of you. And a couple of people asked questions. And one of them was Marie on Instagram. She said, how can we convert fear into taking positive actions? So I guess that's along those lines, in a way that she wants to know how can something positive come out of this? Yeah, I mean, again,
0: that people feel what they feel. So um, this, this notion of conversion is a bit tricky. To me, it's that matter of filling the environment as much as you're capable of, with messages that that provide a positive vision for the future that people can live into. Something that um, that the, the community psychologist Julian Rappaport calls "tales of joy," visions for how we can be that are really inviting, as opposed to um, tales of terror in which the future is posed as something really negative and scary. Mm.
2: Jackie, sorry, you were going to say yes. Um, so there's been a lot
1: of a lot of points raised, and I, I think um, it might be useful just to look at how do we recognise the signs of eco anxiety. Well, one of the questions is: Is your well being being impacted? You know, by scrolling through the media, this question about should we stop talking about climate, um, posting on social media, and so on. Well, it's not not necessarily, but perhaps we could redirect our attention. So, if scrolling through the media, for example, is causing you more anxiety, then perhaps less scrolling and doing something that makes you feel better. Um, you know, if you're if you're kept up at night or losing sleep over what's happening on the planet, and you have stopped enjoying your life, you know, just I guess it's a question. That, are we limiting our quality of life? And this is it's rational, you know, to to have these kind of thoughts because there's a lot happening on the planet. But coming back to ourselves, is is your wellness being impacted, your relationships? And you know, how can we actually let ourselves feel a bit more at peace or a bit more joyful? Because I think the risk is, and we were talking about different groups before, that are at risk of eco-anxiety. And one group in particular are actually activists. Yeah. Um, and so they might actually reach that point where they're self-sacrificing um, or even almost punishing themselves um, for you know, for example, going to the supermarket and buying things that that are wrapped in plastic. Or, I mean, and this is our society; it's the way our society is. It's going to be really, really difficult not to, in your daily life, at some point, use plastic. So, I guess there's a balance there to acknowledge we're having a rational response to a real life threat, but it's also important to prioritize our own well-being. Yeah. Um, You know, so there's two sides to it, prioritizing our own well-being, and I can talk more about that later. And then, as Nikki said, getting active and and taking actions that are going to help us to feel better as well. Okay. So
2: there's a few things that that we can do for ourselves. I guess coming off social media and not scrolling is something that a lot of people just find, find hard to do, especially, I guess we're talking at a time... When the country's in lockdown, and we're all spending a lot of time at home, and your mind has a lot of time to wonder as well, and I find myself scrolling through Instagram, and part of it is you know I have a, an Instagram blog which kind of started all of this, and that's me trying to be a bit greener and trying to share positive messages, but then through that there's also a lot of negativity and there's a lot of people sharing horrible stories about the world, so I guess you can get a bit kind of caught up in it really um. I just wanted to speak a little bit about your workshop you did because you were running one in Wellington um, and Auckland, I believe, and it was called Hope in an Age of Eco-Anxiety, Building Capacity for Psychologists. So obviously you were talking to psychologists, not to members of public like me but I just wanted to know a little bit more about it kind of obviously it's something that psychologists are having to build into their training.
0: Yeah so the the workshop um, Harriet had two parts to it Mm -hmm. and because I'm a community psychologist the the first part of the workshop was really about how to build essentially resilient communities like how do we work together to take action which ultimately serves us all as a collective but also improves individual wellbeing, not directly, but through the group process. And then just to give you a bit of a sense of uh, what I was doing, I've been really interested lately in the, the, the core values that all human beings hold. If you remember, we are, of course, evolved creatures of planet Earth. We are biological beings. And all cultures, all people have really similar problems to solve. We have to eat, we have to um, breathe, we have to, some of us at least, have to have children, we have to have shelter, we have to organise ourselves. So it's a huge amount that people have in common. And so I've been really interested in, in those values, those orientations, those things we really care about. And when you ask people, um, and I've done research on this as to you know what they think makes the world truly alive, what is special, what is sacred, what is precious, you get people Talking in four major categories. One is human relationships. So, in almost all groups of people, um, human relationships are absolutely core to the way they organise ourselves. Uh, a second one is is creativity. So it's things like innovation, growth, people just being able to be themselves and express themselves. The natural world is very important and. Most cultures, although New Zealand culture, I, th- I think, is a little less developed in this regard, have a large spiritual understanding, a sense of interconnection, a sense of the whole, um, a sense that there's more than meets the eye and that we need to, to take care of the relationships between everything. Okay. So we talked quite a lot about these different values and how when you bring these values to the fore um, in any organisation and process, people start to feel really safe and to trust each other and to be able to move forward. So one of the things that's intrigued me about this COVID-19 um, situation is, is what's it going to be like when we come out of it? Is there going to be a sense that we've got each other's backs? Is there going to be a sense that people who have been out of work will be looked after? And things like <laughs> eco-anxiety are precisely because not because of the climate per se or, you know, all the environmental issues, but they're more because we don't trust that, that people are going to respond properly because we don't trust that our governments, that our corporations are going to come to the party. So... Bringing these values to the fore and recognising that we share them and acting on those values provides that foundation that means things like eco-anxiety don't flourish because now we have a solid sense of trust in each other and a solid sense that people will work together to solve these problems.
2: So, okay then, so in in terms of us talking about positive actions that people can can start doing, what are some of the examples that you suggest?
0: I'm actually more interested in organisational responses. So what can an organisation can do is more my area than what individual people can do. So organisations have actually got a lot of power. So one simple example, catering. Now, as an organisation, you can make decisions like perhaps no or minimal meat, perhaps no or minimal plastic, perhaps not having imported fruit but using local fruit at your um, events. You can make decisions at an organisational level that are actually easier in many ways than at an individual level because often somebody's you know in charge of the catering and so you can have a plan and a process. And once you feel part of an organisation that's really nurturing all of these values, this is incredibly empowering for everybody in it and can also have spillover effects into the rest of people's lives.
2: And and Jackie, in terms of what, what you were doing with the workshops, it's slightly different, right?
0: Yes, so the focus of uh,
1: the second half of the workshop was more on individual responses. And I drew on a model of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And this really has three parts. So the first is opening up. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion that's generated by by environmental change and loss and degradation, climate change and and so on. And even COVID-19, actually, we can put into the same category. So uh, it's really important to acknowledge these emotions um, and recognise them and allow room and space for them because when we feel an emotion if we try and make it go away, you know, like if someone is angry and you say to them, stop being angry, (laughs) it's impossible. So it's, it's important to make room for these emotions, such as guilt, despair, hopelessness, even anger, Um, but not becoming overwhelmed by them, accepting that they're, they're part of being human. And it's a, it's a, that actually our emotions are a rational response and they're giving us a message mm-hmm. um, and then the second part of that is is to be present so coming back to the present moment and the sort of strategies that can help here are mindfulness, meditation, yoga, taking a walk in nature, gardening, Anything that brings us back to the present moment. I mean, cooking. You know, one of the things that's happened in lockdown. I think a lot of people have rediscovered the joy of cooking, yeah. and you know that can be a very presenting sort of activity because you're focusing on what's in front of you, the recipe, the you know, cutting up the food and and um, cooking it, and so on. So, being present is is an, is really important. And then the third part of acceptance and commitment therapy is doing what matters. And again, well, coming back to cooking, that might be something, or gardening, or or, as Nikki was talking about, joining a community group. Here on Waiheke, where I live with my husband, He's started a community group in our valley, and there's a reserve area, and the community group is is organized to weed the area and then to replant it in native trees and you know it's been a wonderful thing we've we've met our neighbors and and during the lockdown, people have been exchanging food. Um, and, you know, it's because we now know each other through this community group. So it's helping the environment, but it's also helping us connect with with our neighbours. So doing what matters yeah. is really helpful.
2: Um, the one you mentioned about um, being present, I suffer from anxiety and as well probably eco-anxiety. And I've been trying to do mindfulness and I find it so hard just trying to think about the now and I think that's, I guess that's a big problem of eco-anxiety is you're thinking about the future so much rather than just kind of concentrating on what you're doing right now.
1: Absolutely. A- anxiety is is about, it's a future focus. It's worrying about the future. It's worrying about what's going to happen. And, and that's why it's so important to find strategies that work for you um, to bring yourself back into the present moment. You know, I find myself, with mindfulness and meditation that mindfulness for me works by walking in nature because then I've I've got something to focus on I can you know look at the trees and I can feel the feel the grass beneath my feet and and Mm -hmm. so on so you know that that is something that works for me and in terms of meditation I have to have a a meditation that's very active it's you know got words and it's telling me what to do rather than sitting quietly you know so it's it's you know it's really exploring what works for you um, in terms of of helping you to become present I was
2: going to ask I mean the idea of doing this podcast was that I I want to be able to help people to get through eco-anxiety and I think that as you just said everyone has different responses and needs to work out what works for them I suppose so there isn't really one answer as such
1: I, I don't think so and I think the point is that we need to put our own well-being at the centre of our lives um, and and our families obviously as well but you know if we if we try to get too busy in, in saving the planet then sometimes we neglect our own self-care um, whereas if we care for ourselves first then we've got more res- resources to care for the planet fair enough
2: I wondered about I know Nikki you kind of mentioned earlier that at your age you don't maybe have the worries of somebody who has eco-anxiety but have either of you experienced that kind of feeling I mean, Jackie have you felt any kind of anxiety
1: yeah <laughs> and and it really it it really um happens for me through sc- scrolling through media. you know i've I've become obsessed at times in reading about climate change and and um the impacts of that on people and and so on. And I was sort of telling myself I was doing it you know for research, um, which I was, but I noticed that if I spent an hour scrolling, that I felt worse and this is first thing in the morning whereas if I spent half an hour say meditating and then getting up and having a shower or have you know making myself some nice breakfast I felt better Mm. so it's about recognizing those signs isn't it absolutely I mean
0: I I mean just also it's it's not like I'm immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure, 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 sure. I'm I'm a human being and um so but I think unlike you, Jackie, I've I've never been a um particularly addicted to the meat not not that you're an addict but you know i've never I, <laughs> i've no never actually, <laughs> i've never been the sort of person that wakes up and the first thing i want to know is what's happened in the rest of the world i'm a person that wakes up and and you know on week, weekend mornings i read some book that i am really trying to understand and be connected to and it's usually not about the current situation so i think I've quite naturally just protected myself from the bad news. And I'm also very sceptical about any forecasts for the future. I treat all of those with a grain of salt and I really don't believe anyone who says they know what's going to happen because this is a complex system and there is all sorts of feedback loops. Um, So I definitely can have this, but I think I've developed a real pattern in my life that that means that I don't have it very often. And I I also just wanted to make a little comment because uh, I think um, one of the tricks in my own personal life and it's a little bit counter perhaps to that idea of putting well your well-being at the center is that sometimes when I've had a bad day I say to myself you know what Nikki it doesn't matter how you feel like the world is so much bigger that your feelings of depression anxiety actually are tiny in the scheme of things and paradoxically when you say to yourself "Mm, whatever so you feel like you know, horrible, whatever, somehow that frees you from feeling like you ought to feel good. Like you don't actually have to feel good every day. And to read too much media and to feel absolutely awful for 24 hours because you think the world's going to end. I just think that's part of the deal of living in a modern society. And I also sort of urge listeners not to put too much on that, not to, to pathologize yourself and not to make that seem like it's a it's a bad state that you have to cure.
2: Right. Yeah. So kind of accepting that. I think that's actually a really good point because we can't all just be on top of the world every day. And again, talking about social media and scrolling, you see other people having the time of their life and and seemingly positive and happy every day that you feel like, why am
1: I not like this? I should be like this all the time. Mm. I think that, um, Harriet, brings us on to another area that I think is really important, and that's compassion, in particular self-compassion. This has become a big push in psychology in the last few years is the recognition that self-compassion can make a huge difference to our well-being. So, you know, as human beings, we're often... Well, we're often pretty good at being compassionate towards others, and we're not bad at accepting compassion from others, but compassion self-to-self, you know, compassion for ourselves is something that we, we perhaps haven't been as good at, <laughs> and um, it's really important that in, the, in this situation when we feel anxious about what's happening in the world, that we're kind to ourselves, and uh, mindfulness is another part of that. So you know, trying to to get present and just recognizing we're all in this together. You know, we call it common humanity. But this notion of self kindness, I think, is is really important. Not giving ourselves a hard time because we had to buy something wrapped in plastic. Mm. You know, um, there's there's a lot of areas where we could be a lot more kind to ourselves. I think, and then we'd feel a lot better. Mm. How would we treat our own best friend, treating ourselves like that? Yes, for sure. You
2: should definitely treat yourself as well as you'd want it, others to be treated. If, the other way, what was the old say? What's the saying? Treat others how you'd like to be treated. Maybe it should be the other way around. Treat yourself how you'd like, how you treat others. Yeah. So... If somebody kind of came to you today and and said, I've got these feelings of eco anxiety, I feel like the world's going to end, I'm super anxious every day. Nikki, for you, what would you be saying to to that person?
0: I'd send them to Jackie.
2: I knew you were going to say that. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Jackie,
1: you go. Okay, well, I mean, if we just take that acceptance and commitment therapy model, then I think the first thing I'd say is, Well, tell me how you're feeling and just listen you know if, if you had a friend who who was suffering from from this kind of anxiety just ask them how they're feeling and listen and and help them to accept that and recognize that there's a lot of people feeling like
2: this mm. i was going to say because there must be other people people sorry who who
1: recognize their friends are feeling this way and and what can they do so exactly and i think talking to each other is a huge part of it um, and recognising that we are all in this together. We don't have to save the world alone, you know. In fact, we don't even have to save the world as a small local community. We can just do our bit in in, in our corner of the world. And so that sort of leads into the next um, step, which is be present. So just making sure the person has strategies for For coming into the present moment because as we talked about earlier anxiety is very much future focused and we kind of lose sight of the present and you know 99% of the time we're actually not under threat you know at the moment in lockdown when we're in our own homes we're not under threat Um, you know when we go to the supermarket we have to take good precautions and you know follow the hygiene practices and social distancing and so on but actually we're we're not directly under threat most of the time, so becoming present is, is can help us to to see that. And then I think the third step is um, taking action based on our values. So, for example, if, if your value is if you have a value around connection, then perhaps you could shut your laptop, go for a walk, share veggies with a neighbour, start a community with weeding and tree planting group. You know the sort of things we've been talking about um so referring back to yourself first and your local community your own values and checking that these are aligned you know that what we're doing is aligned with the world that we want to live in great
2: advice thank you um i actually had another question from um a listener which might be the right time to bring it in Um, michaela said uh in order to manage the stress of trying to be perfect." what green actions would be most effective to prioritise? I mean, I guess that's down to the individual as to what you you consider most important, but do either of you feel like you could answer that?
0: I mean, I I often think when people ask me a question like that, I often ask them to imagine that they're part of this huge puzzle, like they're one tiny piece in this enormous puzzle. So the first thing they have to recognise is that everyone has got a unique spot and a unique part to play in this huge game that will work because we'll all do our bit. So I would say, can you ride your bike? Okay, you can't. You live too far out of town. You're dropping children off to daycare. Drive your car. Can you perhaps reduce your meat intake? Can you reduce the amount of plastic you're using? Are you the kind of person that likes politics and could potentially join a political party. So it does become looking at your context and who you are and what is feasible for you. And, And this is all connected to what Jackie's talking about, about being in the present. And so instead of, I mean, isn't it an arrogant thing? I'm not at all saying, Michaela, that you're thinking this, but I often think we have a kind of arrogance as Westerners that that we can solve climate change, we can solve this, uh-uh. We, the big collective, but we, like me, no. So so keep your sights small, be, be humble, have humility in what's possible for you to do, and then do that. Sometimes by feeling that we should be able to save the world, we end up doing nothing because every action seems redundant. But... You know, if you imagine if everyone who could ride a bike did so, Auckland's transport would be transformed overnight. Um, if people started to reduce meat intake, again, massive decreases in methane emissions and so on. So it's it's that thinking, really thinking locally and, and having a bit of humility about it, I think allows you to find what actions you could take.
1: And, you know, I think it's really interesting with the lockdown and I've heard this a lot among among friends and colleagues and so on, that they've really appreciated the time to slow down. And I think this also applies to eco-anxiety. And, well, again, coming back to the lo- lockdown, um, a lot of people are realising that there's joy in the simple things, cooking, gardening, reading, slowing down, and and these activities that each of us are engaged in is actually having a massive positive impact on the environment already. You yeah. know, the fact we're doing less and um, more focused on our local environment, you know, around the home and and so on, or you know, swapping food with your neighbours at the um, at the gate, that kind of thing.
2: What have you two been doing uh, in terms of you know lockdown? Slowing down, nature, nature-wise. Have you have you been doing anything different? I know you mentioned a bit, Jackie. Have you done anything else, Nikki?
0: I mean, I I just don't know how I live. <laughs> my pre-COVID life, to be honest. Um, I, I just can't imagine what it was like rushing around, going out in the evenings I and know. shopping and, gosh, visiting people. Do people <laughs> actually do that? Wow. Um, so for me, I've been, you know, my work's been very intense because we've been getting all our courses online. So I've been doing that a lot. But I've also been knitting, uh, which I do anyway, but I've been doing more of, way more time with the, pe- the people in my immediate family, my husband, keeps Heath and my, our two adult children, it's fantastic to know who's going to be home for dinner every night, all of us. So we've been sharing the cooking and we've even been playing games and having things like homemade pizza night. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I really don't know how I'm going to speed up again. Uh, but I suspect after a month, I'll have forgotten what it's like to be in this slow state, unfortunately.
1: Maybe, yes. And I I'm, I loved walking in nature anyway, but... We've been going out every day and and having a big long walk. Um, one of the things I've noticed is wildlife seems to be more present. I was sitting in the bush the other day, and a, a forest gecko just you know emerged and and crossed the path in front of me and I mean normally we don't see them, they're hiding away. Yeah, I've been hearing the birds a lot lately, yes. Mm. So I, I don't know. I think they're probably a bit curious about us human beings and approaching yeah, right. us a little bit more and going, what's going on here? You know, yeah, right. we've got our world back. Thank you. <laughs> um,
2: Nikki, I just wanted to ask quickly, I know that in terms of what you've you've done and you've done some research projects on sustainable communities and schools and, and positive youth development. Are there kind of groups that you recommend that people get involved in or...? or- Is is there something within the community that we could all be doing, or that we could be getting involved in, that you think would help?
0: Yeah, I I mean, again, it is it is case by case, but I do have a bit of advice. I think one of the things to do is to find some group that is is really going somewhere, and in which you feel welcomed, and in which you feel your skills can be put to good use. And I think that can take a little bit of time. Uh, Some people might enjoy gardening, so if that's good to find a community garden but then see if you gel with that garden you know have, have go a few times and see if the people works for you see if this it feels that the level of organization is the kind you're comfortable with and so on um there are so many different ways in which you can engage Uh, there's many groups for young people often these these are run out of schools or out of the universities and so on but there's also things like generation zero for example which is an organization focused on climate change and you can do your own sort of individual creative things as well Um, again i've heard of you know with knitting people um, doing knitting and putting it in public places these actions don't have to be necessarily directly related to saving the environment, because as Jackie said, us sitting at home has saved the environment more effectively than so many of the targeted actions that we've done in the past. Um, so I think take a bit of time. And if a group isn't working for you, and often that's because of interpersonal issues rather than the focus of the group, the, you know, the formal focus of the group, then move on to another group rather than sort of let yourself wallow there and uh, not take action. So again, it is specific to different people and to different situations.
2: Are you both feeling positive that um, positive about the future, I guess? I mean, there's so many people that are worrying and anxious about the climate and what's happening in the world, but do you feel positive and that people are going to get through it and we're not going to have a generation of complete worriers?
0: I mean, I I think it's a dangerous game to predict the future. And my reaction to that is that I'm an emotional optimist. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's all going to work out in some kind of intellectual sense. Quite frankly, I haven't got a clue. Mm. It's a complex system. There's many, many variables interacting. Things can change overnight as we discovered with this lockdown. Who would have thought we were even capable of this level of control? It's quite extraordinary. Mm. Um, I can't help but be an emotional optimist because I'm surrounded by people who are trying their best to make this a good world, you know, All the time, I see people working with open hearts, generosity towards each other. I think this is our natural state. And so I just, I I keep remembering that. And it's interesting because when I was about 10 years old, I got really worried about the ozone layer. And I said to my father, oh, I've heard about this ozone land, I'm really worried about it. And he said, don't worry, he said, there's lots of people working out how to fix that problem. And it's interesting because these days to say that to a 10-year-old child who says, I'm really worried about climate change, would be often be labelled as denialism or something like that. But, you know, I think we should be saying that to 10-year-olds and we should be saying it to ourselves. Don't worry, there are lots of people really concerned about this issue and working in each of their own spheres of influence to make this come right, would you like to join them and do something as well? That's the kind of message. For me uh, it's
1: interesting because I tend to live more in the present moment um, and not worry too much about the future and and I'm an optimist as well and interestingly my husband's a pessimist so (laughs) you know we we try to avoid discussions about the future because he goes down the pessimistic track and I go down the optimistic track so but I think one of the things that's come out of the lockdown um, experience in COVID-19 is that we've recognised that there are many people in the world with a lot of expertise and we can rely on science, um, for example. You know, the scientists have really come to the fore in this brave new world we're in. Uh, And politicians have also got a place Business people have got a place. I mean, I've always been a people person rather than, a, you know, someone who's interested in the economy. But but with this lockdown, the economy, I can see, is actually really important. Um, people are important and our health is important, but we're going to need to get the economy going as well because that's what keeps the, you know, it's what keeps keeps everything ticking over. So... You know, I, I suppose that I'm an optimist, so yes, I'm optimistic that, that we will get through this um, if we can keep a balance and listen to all the voices. Yeah, there's always risks and, you know, there are leaders in, in the Western world who haven't got the best interests of necessarily everyday people at heart, but I'm, I'm still hopeful and hope provides a context for positive change.
2: For sure. Brilliant. Thank you so much to both of you. I think you've given some really interesting kind of tips and advice as well as your experiences. Um, if somebody is really, really suffering from anxiety, eco anxiety, and, and they've kind of tried all of the things that we've talked about and it's not working, I guess the next step is to go and see a, a counselor or, or a psychologist rather than just listen to our podcast
1: (laughs) yes yes definitely and I mean there's a lot of helplines available but I think you know go to your doctor and get a referral to a mental health professional who's got some experience in this area great okay well thank you so much for joining me
0: thanks Harriet thank you
1: some
2: truly useful advice from jackie and nikki huge thanks to them for giving their time i just wanted to have a quick recap on some of the ways that they said we could manage eco-anxiety so one of them was acceptance so talking about it listening to people who feel they might be suffering or might be experiencing eco-anxiety so talk to your friends and, and have that discussion Be present, enjoy the little things, focus on what you're doing right now rather than always looking ahead, which I'm awful for. Take action based on your values, but do what you're capable of, do what works for you. So if you can cycle more instead of driving, start doing that. If you can use refill shops to reduce your plastic waste, focus on the ones that you can do that aren't going to cause you a crazy amount of stress or pressure find out what you enjoy what relaxes you is that nature is that reading is that cooking stop scrolling one probably for all of us and um, I think that's actually a really important one remember that we can't save the world on our own so we shouldn't feel that pressure yeah we we can do our little bit and hopefully collectively we can make a difference and we can also lobby governments to try and make a difference but actually it's not all down to us. So we shouldn't feel that pressure that we have to save the world. Um, another great one, join a community group. But as Nikki said, make sure it works for you so that you make sure you get along with the people there, that you enjoy the the way it works, that the schedule works for you. I think some really great tips there, actually. So if you are feeling that you've got eco-anxiety, I'd love you to take some of these actions and let me know whether they're working for you. I'm definitely going to work on as much of this as I can I know that I'm probably really bad for not doing most of it so I'm going to give it a go I'm going to try to scroll less I'm going to try to enjoy the little things and all of it as much as I can and we're in lockdown at the moment the perfect time to focus on a lot of these points so let me know what you think and whether you feel that this might help you and Just to let you know, Jackie and Nikki are both professors at Auckland University and they've written some really insightful papers and books related to anxiety and the climate, which are worth checking out. I'll put links to their websites and stuff in the description of this podcast. I'll also put some links to some useful places where you can find out more about anxiety and mental health problems and... Um, just have a little bit of a read about what we've been talking about today. So please do go and have a nose. We didn't get into the half of it, to be honest, within that 45, 50 minutes. If you did enjoy today's podcast, please do tell your friends. And if you can leave a review, that's always helpful. And get in touch if there's an eco topic you'd like me to cover. You can message me on Instagram at wannabe.greener or email wannabegreener at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.